Welcome to Tales of American History, the Witnessing History Education Foundation podcast, educating Americans to understand the history of their country and of other countries so that they will appreciate the value of America's unique free institutions. I'm your host, Genevieve Brown, and today Kent Masterson Brown is speaking with our special guest, John Park. More about him in a minute, but first... Become an American hero who participates in our mission by joining us at witnessinghistory.org, the website of the Witnessing History Education Foundation. View for free the Foundation's documentary films on the website and on the Foundation's new YouTube platform. View also the Foundation's free teacher education materials that conform to grade-level education standards, both on the website and at pbslearning.org. Follow Witnessing History on Facebook and Twitter. Now, take a journey back through time with Kent Masterson Brown and our guest, John Park, and let their storytelling transport you to the most compelling moments in American history. Originally from Springfield, Illinois, John grew up in the shadow of Abraham Lincoln, just three miles from Lincoln's home, and being surrounded by all that history has had a lifelong impact. John is the chairman of Kentucky's Independent Semi-Quincentennial Commission, preparing for celebrating America's 250th birthday. Join us to hear Kent, who serves with John on that commission, and John discuss some great moments and some great people from American history. Welcome, John. Uh, John, uh, listen, welcome. Uh, I'm glad to have you here. (laughs) Glad to be here. (laughs) Good. John, um, let me... uh, uh, let, let me start with uh, with something about your background. Um, um, you were born and raised in Springfield, Illinois. Yes, sir. Yep. Now, Springfield, Illinois, for those of um, our listeners who uh, love history, um, immediately that name brings to mind Abraham Lincoln. Yes. <laughs> um, you were brought up in the shadows <laughs> of, uh, of Abraham Lincoln's home, yep. of his law office, uh-huh. of the old state capitol, yes. um, the old U.S. courtroom, mm-hmm. um, and you were brought up not far from old New Salem. Correct. About 20 miles from there. Which is near Petersburg, yeah. Illinois. Yeah. And also all the courthouses where Lincoln practiced yeah. um, in the old Eighth Judicial Circuit. Um, and I, m- my memory, I mean, Metamora in Woodford County still mm-hmm. has the original courthouse. Mount Pulaski yeah. in Logan County, along with Postville. Postville, I think, is a reproduction, but it still looks identical to the courthouse that once stood there. Then Beardstown, yeah. uh, Cass County, and Decatur in Macon County. Right. All those still stand. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, um, John, uh, what was it like growing up around all that? <laughs> it was the land of Lincoln, and it really was. Uh, I, 
my mom and dad instilled early on in us history. And, of course, when it's Lincoln, uh, we we did everything. We did all the sites. Uh, during the summertime, uh, my mom would take us on field trips. Uh, as a family, we would do these things. We'd go out to New Salem. We'd uh, visit the new state capitol, the old state capitol. Uh, of course, during school, uh, field trips, school field trips would go out to New Salem. Uh, and, of course, they would have uh, volunteers out there uh, acting out showing us how to make lye soap and, and doing the things that they did back back there in New Salem back in the 1830s. And uh, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed it. I, I know history is not for everybody. It should be, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. And uh, uh, what I couldn't get from the actually hands-on and visual stuff, uh, this was back in the day before the World Wide Web and, and mm-hmm. uh, all those things. So we had the World Book Encyclopedia, and I wore I wore out the letter L. So did we. Yes, yes. So the letter L I wore out. You can see the spine is broke because uh, I spent a lot of time reading about Lincoln. I spent uh, some of the others too, but uh, yeah. I, I'm just a big fan. Like you said, I grew up in the shadow of Lincoln, and I loved every minute of it. What What is it about Lincoln in your mind that makes his story so attractive? I, I think it's— this this man who came from virtually nothing, and mm-hmm. the fact that he, uh, uh, the the what, where he was born in in Hodgenville, uh, the problems that he endured growing up, the the relationship he had with his dad, and uh, mm-hmm. you know the the death that he had to constantly deal with, the loss of his mother, and and later on his sister, right. uh, and right. uh, then when he got to New Salem. Uh, of course, there's some debate there about Ann Rutledge, but the first love of his life and, and those things. And then later on, when he's married to lose his, his you know, three of his sons, uh, all those things. And, 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 and still he persevered. Um, a man who had no formal education, uh, mm-hmm. what, a year, yeah. uh, and to do all the things he did and becomes president of the United States and, and holds the nation together. I mean, that's a tremendous mm. story. It's a tremendous story for anybody yes. to, to understand. Uh, even if you don't want to know it for purposes of the history, to know it for the purpose, to use your word, of the perseverance yeah. of this person. And is that not a guide star for all of us? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lincoln, um, uh, you know, he, uh, he showed up at New Salem mm-hmm. in 1830 um, and his first words out of his mouth to those with whom he spoke was, um, I, I, I showed up like a piece of floating <laughs> driftwood, yeah. and, um, uh, which is pretty much all he was yeah. then. And I've always been stunned, uh, John, that Lincoln, from 1830 until 1837 just 7 years mm-hmm. he ran he 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 moved from a position of being a piece of floating driftwood mm-hmm. to a member of the bar yeah. of the state of illinois yeah i mean that's it all done by self teaching he had some people in springfield who helped him yep. who later became law partners with him but still, it was it was a drive to learn yeah. and to better himself. 
And uh, boy, is that not a lesson for everybody? Absolutely. I mean, he went out looking for a mentor, and 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 he found one named Mentor. Uh, and, <laughs> yes, he did. That's right. Uh, and 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 to do all that, and not only become a, a practicing member of, of you know a lawyer, but but also ran for the state legislature, of course, twice. The right. first time he lost, but got back up, and two years later won. Mm-hmm. Uh, failure after failure, and picked himself up and. Did it again and right. move forward. Right. And then, you know, out there, it, it beyond being a member of the state legislature, he ultimately wound up in Congress in 1846, uh, but then tried to run for just, I mean, he basically was not able to run for reelection because of positions he had taken. Right. Uh, so that kind of flopped. And then he runs for the United States Senate twice and fails. Yeah. In the 1850s. And yet that man becomes president of the United States in 1860. Yeah. Now, I don't know of anybody in memory of this country's story who ever did that, anything like it. Right. Well, he is a, uh, he is a, 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 a fascinating man. Uh, tell me this uh, and tell the, the, our listeners this. What was it, in, if it was anything— uh, being around the sites like New Salem, like the old state capitol, Lincoln's home, the law office, what what was it that moved you about that story? Well, it's just being there and being able to – and I realize a lot of New Salem is recreated. Uh, but being on the site and seeing that Lincoln actually lived here, he, he ran a, a, a general store and, uh, you know, the, he was a postmaster there and he was there. Uh, mm-hmm. it, this isn't somebody that I'm just reading about in a book uh, or, or online now, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> but he, he's somebody that was actually there. And I guess liken it to you know, my Lord and Savior, that it'd be like going to the Holy Land and, and walking <laughs> the, the land that uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ walked on. Uh, it's it's those kind of things. It's going to uh, not only New Salem, but coming into Springfield and, and looking at what's still there, his law office and yeah. the old state capitol where he gave his house divided speech, all those things. Yeah. It's hard, wouldn't you say, it's hard for anyone to fully— Fully, you fully appreciate a person like Lincoln and the travails Lincoln went through without having those historic structures that were, that are related to him still standing. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm a huge advocate of preservation, mm-hmm. of um, restoration uh, of historic properties. And um, uh, I always found that having them there, like a battlefield or a house or the state cap, old state cap, whatever, having them there adds a dimension to the story that otherwise we couldn't put in our heads ourselves. Um, And so the idea that all of that is still standing in in and around Springfield. speaks volumes for anyone who wants to introduce their children or themselves to the story of Abraham Lincoln, don't you think? You you said it better than I could. Yes, absolutely. You know, 
there was a there was a point in my life I practiced law for forty six years, and at one point in time in my law career, um, I had most of my cases in Illinois, believe it or not. Wow! And um, one of them was tried in Charleston, uh, which is a site where Lincoln tried a case. Yeah. <laughs> Some one of his more interesting cases, by the way. Yeah. Um, one in Danville, Vermilion mm-hmm. County. Yeah. And. Um, uh, the one in Charleston, uh, I took. Uh, we took to the uh, Illinois Court of Appeals, and I we argued it in the old state, in the new state capital, and then um, uh, it went to the Supreme Court of Illinois in the new state capital. And I'll never forget walking up to the courtroom to begin the arguments. And as you go up the steps in the Capitol, there are the names engraved in in plaques all the way up the steps of all the members of the Supreme Court of Illinois over the years. And I'll never forget, I got toward the top of the steps and I read Stephen A. Douglas. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> and it suddenly dawned on me, hell, uh, I'm in the Supreme Court of <laughs> Illinois, for heaven's <laughs> sakes. <laughs> yep. And... Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just me being just in love with history. But Mm -hmm. um, you pass something like that and you kind of go, man, isn't it neat to just be a part of a a continuing story in this country. Absolutely. uh, That he was. And all these others were, many of whom were common names to people who love uh, the, the history of the uh, of Illinois um, and uh, what we then call the uh, the Old West, um, and uh, to be just a part. You're arguing in front of the very same court that uh, once had uh, Stephen A. Douglas sitting yeah. on it. Well, when you uh, say Charleston, I immediately think of uh, just a few weeks before Lincoln got on that train to go to Washington D.C. Yeah, uh, he made a trip over to Charleston and rode just a little south of there to visit his stepmother f- yeah. for the last time. Yeah. Uh, so when you say those things, and I can go in my mind and think about me going there and seeing that place and yeah. seeing where his mom and his stepmom and his dad are buried. Yeah. Uh, so I've got that in my mind because I've been there. And yeah. so I, I can relate. And the last couple of weeks, I've been kind of following the timeline of Lincoln getting on that train at Springfield and traveling to Washington, D.C. and the places he stopped along the way, because we're in that time period right now. Yeah, right. Right. And that train, you know, the old train station is still there in Springfield yeah. where yeah. he well, left. Yeah. Yes. And um, I remember him telling... Uh, 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 Billy Herndon, uh, as he was getting on the train, uh, 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 don't worry, Billy, um, uh, when all this is over, I'll be back and we'll go on practicing law just like we did before. That's exactly right. <laughs> but a, a few days later, well, a couple weeks later, when he arrives in, in Philadelphia and he raises that flag, uh, you know, he kind of has an eerie uh, premonition or, or, oh, or yeah. prophecy where he says, I'd rather uh, be assassinated on this spot. Uh, yeah. And, and <sighs> so it was interesting that he would say that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that is another aspect of Lincoln. He There's a mystique there. Um he um, he did have deep and somewhat brooding thoughts yeah. uh, that he would often express at times about the future, about him. Um, but you know, uh, John, 
don't we find that often in the people on the frontier? Yeah. The melancholy, <laughs> the uh, – I, I, I've studied the frontier, Kentucky frontier uh, primarily for a long time. And um, I, it's amazing how many people um, who you run across um, in, in history who survived the frontier – have the same sort of melancholy that mm-hmm. uh, that Lincoln did, yeah. and don't you suspect? This is me now, just uh, rambling. In uh, I'm just suspecting here that a lot of that comes from their frequent um, uh, dealings with death. That so many people, family members, died um, prematurely we would say very prematurely today, mm-hmm. um, that all that cumulative dealings with the deaths of cl- close family and friends um, somewhat precipitated that, yeah. created that. And n- none of them were, were uh, uh, immune from that. No. Um, you know, you look at the life of Daniel Boone, um, and you think of the the sons he lost mm-hmm. during the war, the revolution. Um, you look at those they lost outside of warfare, mm-hmm. just disease uh, or at birth, and maybe lost the wife at birth. Yeah, I, you know it always gets me today in this modern time where we. We try to pigeonhole people uh, by who they were, sometimes and often by race, uh, and say, well, they were privileged or this one had that and this one didn't. But I'm, I'll tell you, I'm the first one to say that no one had it good <laughs> no. in, the, in the years of the creation of this country or in the years uh, in the 19th century Nobody had it had it good. Nobody had it easy. All of them had it difficult, no matter what their station in life was. Yes. Don't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. And so that Lincoln has this melancholy about him because of, look at all the people who died. As you, as you articulated, how many people died in his family during his years growing up. Um, that would make me uh, blue too. Well, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, poem, uh, and you may know this, uh, I'm sure you do, that, uh, that interestingly enough was was published three years to the day that Ann Rutledge died, mm. and it was called The oh. Suicide Soliloquy. Yeah. They don't know who published or who wrote it, yeah. but it's pretty well suspected that Abraham Lincoln was the author of that, that poem. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised. You know, one of the most interesting things to visit, you mentioned New Salem, Mm-hmm. Uh, which is folks right outside of Petersburg, uh, Illinois, is the little cemetery yeah. uh, outside of Petersburg where Ann Rutledge is buried and where most of those New Salem residents Lincoln knew are buried. Yeah. And, um, uh, and Ann Rutledge, for those of you who do not know, um, Ann was uh, a, a person who Lincoln a apparently uh, desired to marry. Uh, the two of them 
apparently um, had a relationship. And then suddenly Anne dies. And um, uh, so the story goes, Lincoln uh, literally went into uh, a deep uh, depression mm-hmm. over, over all that. Yeah. But anyway, there in that cemetery in kind of the middle of the prairies, those, that's prairie country, folks. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's as flat as a flitter, My the land. land. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, there's, there is Anne Rutledge's grave. And um, it is the uh, – to, to understand the story – and really any good book you pick up on the life of Abraham Lincoln will have that story in it. And I encourage everyone who's listening to this to, to go and get something, uh, some book on Lincoln, some, some, something written word about his life, and familiarize yourself with it. And then take yourself to central Illinois mm-hmm. and visit it. Absolutely, and it'll be a. Uh, a I, I think for you, for anyone, and and your, particularly your children, but even adults, who have not seen it, not had the privilege of being there, uh, it's a. Um, it is a. It's a moving story. If it's not an earth, a, a, a radically changing story, mm-hmm. for anyone who visits it. And the and the message is that. Regardless of your 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 station in life, where you come from, you can end up being president. That's uh, right, and, and and it's an amazing story. And I said that at the beginning, but uh, I think parents really need to show that to their children. Anyone can come from any background, and if you really apply yourself, regardless of what you go through in life, you end up being president in the United States. You can it's be possible. It's possible. It's possible. And, and Kent, one thing I'd like to uh, mention, too, is back in t- uh, 2005, mm-hmm. uh, Illinois and, and the city of Springfield opened the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. Right. And it's a phenomenal place. Uh, my mom still lives in Springfield, and I have a brother that lives there. And Aww. every time I go home, uh, <laughs> I, I have to go there. My, yeah. my wife knows we're going to go to the, uh, the library and the museum and stop by because they're always there's a new display. There's a new uh, artifact that might be there. Uh, it's an interesting place to go. Uh, when it first opened, uh, there was some criticism that it was uh, Disneyland-ish kind of mm-hmm. thing, but it's a phenomenal place and uh, a lot, and it speaks to children and adults, and there's so much that you can glean from that about Abraham Lincoln. It's a it's a great place to go. Okay. One other thing, too, um, back in the 70s, uh, when they had the uh, a lot of Lincoln uh, things to go to, tourist uh, attractions in Springfield, there was a little wax museum there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, of course, when the recession hit back in the 70s, those kind of things kind of dried up and, and went away. But interestingly enough, if you want to see those wax figures, they are down at Hodgenville at the li- at the uh, Lincoln Museum oh. on the square down there yeah. in Hodgenville. Yeah. Um, I, uh, as you know, John, uh, and I would guess most of our listeners would know this, that the uh, Witnessing History Education Foundation, which, of course, is the sponsor of these podcasts, uh, produced came out in 2019 with a film entitled In the Declaration All Men Are Created Equal, Abraham Lincoln in Illinois. Love that. Yes. <laughs> and I take it you've seen it. Uh, yeah. And if you remember, I told you, I watched it and it kind of made me homesick. <laughs> well, what's fun about it, 
uh, everybody who's, again, listening, uh, it was filmed entirely on location. Mm-hmm. And um, all the scenes and sights in that, um, in that film were filmed um, where those events actually occurred. Mm-hmm. And that's from his first arrival at New Salem to his first attempt to run for the state legislature, um, his, um, uh, his first uh, attempt to enter the practice of law. Um, all of those scenes are, um, are captured uh, with high-end um, uh, uh, talent mm-hmm. um, at the site where it all occurred. And in particular, there are a series of scenes of speeches given first by Stephen Douglas and, um, and then two by Abraham Lincoln, including the one where he accepted the Republican nomination for the United States Senate. And that was his famous House Divided speech. Yep. Those speeches in the film were all delivered in the same House of Representatives chamber <laughs> where they were given in the old state capitol yep. and at the very same podium where Lincoln spoke and where Douglas spoke. And I really urge all of you uh, who, who have not seen it to do so. And you can do so by going on the Witnessing History website, uh, witnessinghistory.org, and you become a member free of charge. All of our films are made free to everybody. And then you can go on and, uh, and, and click on the film. Uh, you can also go to the Witnessing History Education Foundation YouTube uh, channel. And there you can also see uh, uh, the film on Abraham Lincoln in Illinois. And I would encourage you to do so. And I hope that uh, after you do see it, that you would want to venture to Illinois with the family and take a look at the sites um, that are that are there. Um, I uh, would echo what you just said there. <laughs> Seriously, as someone who lived there and walked there and you know lived all that, uh, again, it's 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 phenomenal. You did a great job on that. Well, I'll tell you one thing. For I don't know if you knew this or not, John, but um, I got a call from the the president of the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum in Springfield, and he asked me. Um, he says, Kent, uh, if, if the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library sponsored your film, um, would you object to that? <laughs> I, said, I said, hell no. <laughs> so right now, in all the public broadcasting affiliates in central Illinois, wow. uh, when that film is, is being shown— it is the front end has a uh, about a forty second spot where the head of of um, uh, promotions uh, and um, at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library comes on yep. and tells you why you should visit the Presidential Library. <laughs> and I I told him after it was after I saw one I said you know I tell you what I've I, I'm proud of the work we do, but this something like that really made me proud <laughs> of the work we do. Absolutely, because uh, that's as good an endorsement as you get anywhere. I mean, to to have them do that, and 
So we have a real symbiosis, our, the foundation, with the Presidential Library. And I suspect over the years we're going to do a whole lot more, uh, more work together. Good. Well, you know, um, we've talked about Lincoln, and I could go on talking about Lincoln Let's you know, do. For, for, for just about ever. And uh, we can even come back to him if you want. <laughs> but you, you, are, you are also, John, the, the, the chair of the uh, Kentucky uh, semi-quincentennial uh, commission of the American Revolution. Yes. And we're coming upon the 250th anniversary of the uh, Declaration of Independence uh, in um, tw- 2026. So, um, just tell me first of all, why do you, why is it important for Kentucky to celebrate the two hundred and fiftieth anniversary of of um, the, the American Revolution? Well, first off, congratulations! You were able to say semi quincentennial. I've been working on that for a long time. It's a tongue twister, and it's going to be a little bit harder for people to say that bicentennial. That was easy. Everybody easy. got that one, but easy. this one's going to be a little bit harder. But Kentucky was very much involved. Uh, you know, while we weren't actually a, a commonwealth or a state at the time, uh, we have history that uh, is involved in in what happened. Uh, 200, almost 250 years ago. And uh, so we need to get the word out and let people know that what was going on in Kentucky at that time and mm-hmm. uh, leading up to that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, one, I, I, maybe you echo this too, that um, I think everyone should get out and celebrate the uh, 250th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Yep. And there's no person who ever walked um, this country who believed that more than Abraham Lincoln. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah. that, of course, it, it, the title of the film we made was In the Declaration, All Men Are Created Equal. Um, when Lincoln um, had to respond to Stephen Douglas's committee in the United States Senate introducing the Kansas-Nebraska Kansas, bill, which would have turned um, whether or not slaves, slavery in, the Nor- in, in Kansas and Nebraska would be uh, accepted or not into a popular referendum as opposed to following the Missouri Compromise Line, uh, which would have prohibited slavery in that territory. Uh, He wanted to turn it to a popular vote. And of course, he was looking for votes. Um, He wanted to, he was an investor in a transcontinental railroad and he wanted those votes uh, to get that through. But um, Lincoln, in responding to Douglas, um, found that the phrase, all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And Lincoln immediately said, you know, the framers of this country felt that, right? Yep. And they did. And what, what Lincoln goes so far, he finally, right before he decides to, you know, run for, to get the nomination for the presidency, uh, he gives a speech at Cooper Union in New York City. And what does he do? He goes through the, the members of the Congress of the Confederation um, who passed the Northwest Ordinance that prohibited slavery in the Old Northwest, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, 
and Wisconsin, present-day states. And he said, these people before the Constitution, these a majority of Congress before the Constitution agreed to this. And so that means the founders believed that the federal government could block slavery. And why don't we do it now? Yeah. We can't have him have popular sovereignty up there when Congress, you know, has a duty now to stop that. Um, and then Lincoln goes one step further. He looks at Congress after the ratification of the Constitution in 1787 when Congress reenacted the Northwest Ordinance under the new Constitution. And who signs that, 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 that bill? but the president of the United States, who was then George Washington. Yeah. So all this stuff we hear today about Washington being this or that, and we don't need to do this with him, look what he just, he did mm -hmm. yep. with the Northwest Ordinance. And look what all those in Congress did. And it was a clear majority. And you know, when Lincoln said this at Cooper Union, he brought the house down. Yeah. He brought the house down in New York City. And frankly, it's a speech that made him president of the United States mm -hmm. without any question. Yeah. Well, if you, if you think about it, his early learning, he was constantly learning about mm -hmm. our history and our founding fathers. I mean, right. he, you, you, you read about that. And I said about his prophetic words at Philadelphia just a little bit ago, but he, when he was standing there getting ready to raise that flag, he said, I'm filled with deep emotion finding myself standing here in this place yeah. uh, where all this wisdom was that put this country together. I'm paraphrasing, but that's yeah. basically what he said. Absolutely. I mean, he, he knew what that place was. Yes. Yes. And think of the momentous events that occurred in that, in yeah. that building. Yeah. Um, not only the Declaration of Independence, but the Constitution. And, um, but um, what's, what gets me, uh, John, and I'm sure it does you, is the type of talk we hear today mm -hmm. about our, the founders, th these men, yeah. um, that they were, this was a racist, or this one was, or all, the, all this kind of stuff we hear today. No one, and, and why do we hear that? Is because no one either knows, or if he knows, pays a lick of attention right. to what actually happened. And isn't that our duty to understand our history for crying out loud? Uh, I think there's something said about that. Those who don't remember history or fail to repeat it. Right. I mean, just to be a good citizen. Yeah. Yeah. Just to understand what your, what, what your role is as a citizen, to at least try to understand as much of it as you can. Yeah. And I know there's some of us who spend a lot of time on history. And no one's expecting everybody to do that. Uh, other Many people don't have the resources, don't have the uh, at hand the material to do it. But, you know, it's all out there and in public libraries. And it's all available now on the Internet. <laughs> I mean, and <laughs> there's just tons of people who maybe have not a book in the house but have the Internet. I've got a world book encyclopedia I'll loan out to somebody. <laughs> That's well-worn, yes, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, you know, um, so I think it's incumbent upon Kentucky to celebrate like heck yes. uh, the, uh, the, the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Yep. I feel just like Lincoln did 
about it. And it's neat that we have these two things to talk about today because they one is juxtaposed to the other. I mm-hmm. mean, one, one leads to the other. Yep. And uh, they both are great to talk about in tandem. Kentucky also has a great story in the revolution. Yes, they do. Um, you know, we were actively fighting British invasions in what is now Kentucky uh, throughout the war. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was a very deadly war here, um, a, a savage war. But um, it was still those who sought to settle against Britain here. Because mm-hmm. Britain was financing the um, many of the tribes, not all of them, but many of those uh, tribes who uh, invaded Kentucky with organized British troops, um, uh, you know, were, were the ones that uh, the settlers had to deal with. And in the process, people like Daniel Boone, I mean, he lost two sons doing this, and he lost a brother. Um, it was a very difficult, difficult time. I was talking with you before, John, about um, um, some other things that uh, I, I, I like to talk about when we when we discuss the the Revolutionary War in this part of the world. Um, a lot of people, I think, believe um, that out here, what happened. Uh, in the uh, the years leading up to the revolution, uh, were these, the folks out here were not affected by that. And when I say this, I mean uh, the 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 plight of the people in Boston, for instance, yeah. Massachusetts, where um, they uh, they were they were putting up with what uh, they would refer to as the um, coercive acts of Parliament, the intolerable acts of Parliament, and these acts mostly came about because Britain, um, in prosecuting the Seven Years' War, which we call the French and Indian War, had racked up a debt that was just enormous, absolutely enormous. They didn't know how the heck they were going to pay the debt down. And what they sought to do was tax the colonies. Now, there was no representative from any of the colonies in Parliament. So there was no voice there to say, you know, they can't pay that. No one. Mm-hmm. So they just pass it. And then when the, the colonies react to it strongly, uh, Britain gets mad. I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying this, right. but that's what happened. Britain gets mad. Yep. And as, as, as when it gets mad, it puts on even heavier restrictions to the point where in the end, Britain shut down the port of Boston. And, um, uh, and there, there, there are in, the intolerable acts. I mean, even included things, not only raising taxes on everything. I mean, every kind of paper and vellum imaginable is taxed. Mm-hmm. And, but they even, they went so far, John, <laughs> as to enact a, a law. We would call it a statute. It's an act of parliament that made killing your children not a crime. Now, get that. Yeah. Now, um, I'm sorry. Uh, that's where, I mean, I, <laughs> there, there are some things you can almost tolerate. There are some things that are absolutely intolerable. And the reason they enacted that was because there were many children 
in Boston and in other parts of the colonies who were what we would call illegitimate. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to take care of them. Britain didn't want to spend the money on them. They were broke. So when they don't want to spend the money on them, they just tell the, the colonists uh, in, in the uh, one uh, provision of the Intolerable Acts that, you know, killing your child or children is not a crime. Almost inviting them to do it. Yeah. That's how bad yep. it got. And what's, what's really interesting, in December, um, uh, or in, 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 in November, um, uh, November 5th, 1774, uh, a group of Virginians who had just defeated a, um, uh, a, a Shawnee party, a very large virtual army, at the Battle of Point Pleasant at the mouth of the Kanawha River where it enters into the Ohio in West Virginia, had built a, um, a fort known as Fort Gower at the mouth of the Hocking River as it empties into the Ohio right across the river from far north eastern Kentucky and, and West Virginia. And um, th- this, is, this is what those frontiersmen, and one of them was George Rogers Clark in the middle of this crowd. Mm-hmm. And here is, what they, here is what they resolved. They first said, we will bear the most faithful allegiance to his majesty, King George III, whilst his majesty delights to reign over a brave and free people that we will, at the expense of life and everything dear and valuable, exert ourselves in support of the honor of his crown and the dignity of the British Empire. But, (laughs) you're waiting for this. The first seems almost too hard to believe, but, but as the love of liberty and the attachment to the real interests and just rights of America outweigh every other consideration. We resolve that we will exert every power within us for the defense of American liberty and for the support of her just rights and privileges. Can you imagine that? (laughs) You know, it's always amazing. People, uh, people in the East think that all of us out here are a bunch of sodbusters who uh, don't know much. <laughs> but now this is 1774. James Harrod wouldn't wouldn't settle uh, what is now Harrodsburg, the first permanent settlement in Kentucky. Wouldn't settle that until the spring of 1774. Mm-hmm. And here we are in November 1774. James Harrod is had just arrived in Kentucky. Daniel Boone is nowhere in sight. He won't be until the spring of 1775. Yeah. And here you get this sort of unbelievable language. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It is. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it didn't end there. Another group of Virginians in Fincastle County, Virginia, which is in the way upper Shenandoah Valley, meaning near Roanoke, between Roanoke and Lexington, Virginia. Um, They got wind of this. 
And in January, January 20, 1775, just, just a, two months after the Fort Gower resolutions, they resolved, there are 15 delegates at this meeting, and they're led by Colonel William Preston and William Campbell, whose children married. We even have a, a colonel buried in the Lexington Cemetery, uh, Colonel, colonel William Campbell Preston Breckenridge, <laughs> so wow. you can tell there, there were there were there, there was there were weddings between these Prestons <laughs> and the Campbells. Uh, these are all Scottish Irish who came into Virginia and ultimately wound up in Kentucky. But here's what they resolved on January 20 in 1775. Again, this is this is two months before Daniel Boone settles Boonesboro. But if no public measures shall be proposed or adopted by Great Britain and our enemies attempt to dragoon us out of those inestimable privileges which we are entitled to as subjects and to reduce us to a state of slavery, we declare that we are deliberately and resolutely determined never to surrender them to any power on earth but at the expense of our lives. Now, that is about as tough as you get. Yep. Isn't that amazing? It is, very much so. I, I, I love the frontier, and um, uh, it, it stuns you when you, uh, when you understand what, uh, what those people were like. Well, when you think about it, too, after the revolution, uh, a lot of those Revolutionary War veterans were given property uh, mm -hmm. as payment. Right. And so there are Kentuckians today that are here because their ancestors, mine among them, even mm -hmm. though I ended up, my family ended up in Illinois, uh, Daniel Robertson was a uh, uh, soldier that served under George Washington at Valley Forge. Uh, he was given some land, which, which is now in uh, 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 Christian County. Uh, he and his wife moved out there. And uh, so some of my family came, and so others did too. There's a lot of families that came into Kentucky because they were given land as payment for being that's soldiers right. in the in the Revolutionary War. That's that's exactly right. Um, uh, do you remember what? Where did he come from? What state? Your ancestor? Uh, uh, Virginia. Virginia. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the unit he served in? Uh, you would ask me that. <laughs> I, I, I have it, uh, not off the top of my head. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I. Um, you know, I'll tell you what, it is amazing how many people listening probably don't think they have a Revolutionary War ancestor. But, you know, I'll guarantee you, you'll probably find one. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, after all these years, even if you say, well, but my some of my people came in from Central Europe or Eastern Europe, you know, during the coal mining years, and we don't have any— Who did they marry in the years subsequent to that? Um, who, who are those children? And you related to them. Yeah. Um, so, um, and you know, I'll tell you, there's no history like your own. Oh, yeah. And the history of a country is the history of all of us and all of our ancestors. And um, it's just the collection of the, of the experiences of all of us. And um, I would um, encourage everyone to, um, to, uh, to look into their own background as we head toward the uh, the uh, semi-quincentennial of the revolution. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's just it. You know, when you when you love history like we do and, and uh, your your listeners, uh, 
when, when you look at your past and you look at your the, the people that came before you and you find out that one of your ancestral grandfathers served under George Washington yeah. at Valley, I mean, that, I, I had to sit there and look at that for a little bit and think, wow, that, that's incredible. That just went all over me that I, I, I can claim that. And yeah. uh, so, and there, you know, we have the sons and the daughters of the American revolution that have right. th- those, that all that information. And right. uh, it's just, it's just incredible that when you, when you find out that you actually have, you, you can claim ownership to some of that history. Yeah. I'll never forget you, John. Um, uh, the Witnessing History um, Education Foundation has a newsletter that uh, we send out every month. And it, us- it always has a uh, his- something historical to say at the beginning, a, s- a story of some sort. And um, in, the, uh, in this edition, uh, we wrote a story called The Winter Soldiers. <laughs> and it was, it, was, um, it was about the Washington's army, uh, the Continental Army, during the war. Mm-hmm. And these poor devils serve through so many unbelievably difficult winters that they became known as the winter soldiers. Um, If you can imagine, folks, um, in uh, in 1780, when uh, we all hear a lot about Valley Forge and how bad and difficult that was, the men dying of disease uh, all all the time, um, and uh, uh, a, a very sad, moment in, 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 American, in the American story, but one of triumph because at the end of Valley Forge, Washington's troops come out and defeat a British force at Monmouth Courthouse. Yep. But, but in 1780, they were in Morristown, New Jersey during the winter. And this was known as the hard winter of 1780 and hard meaning in their, that was their term. If, if it was hard for them, man, it was really hard because yeah. these people could had you exist in wintertime. They, they lived in houses, didn't have heat except for a fireplace. And so when they talk about a hard winter, they really meant hard. And it was so hard it, in, 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 in Morristown, there were over 120 inches of snow that winter. And it was so cold. This was not all at once, but over the course of, uh, of the winter. And it was so cold that the, the, the bay between New Jersey and New York City froze to such an extent that the British could move artillery pieces across it, mm-hmm. un- led by horses over the, over the harbor in New York. Heavy pieces. Heavy pieces. High, heavy horses. Yeah. Now, that is cold, folks. Yeah. And yet these guys endured that. And um, it's a, it is a real, just like Lincoln, it's a great story of perseverance, personal drive, a, a desire to be something better than where he came from. Uh, the story of the revolution, the American story, is a story of the same kind of resolve, isn't it, John? Yes, it is. Of... of uh, we're going to win this thing. I don't care how much it takes. Just like these frontiersmen, right? We don't care about at the loss of life. Fine. Yeah. We're not going to surrender this. Yep. And um, it should be something Im- imbued in all of us because we're Americans. Yeah. And um, uh, 
a, a little brief note here. I think I wrote you back when you wrote to me about the Winter Soldiers, and um, and told me about your ancestor and and the Christian County roots that you have yeah, as yeah. a result. Um, my ancestors all came from New York City, just Westchester County, just north of New York, and um, uh, my uh, my ancestor became a captain in the Second New York Continental Line, which of course was in in Washington's army. But he entered the service in um, seventeen um, seventy five. Uh, fought at the Battle of Brooklyn, fought at the uh, Battle of White Plains, and then uh, was they were both bad defeats, and then retreated across New Jersey to Pennsylvania, and was at Newtown, and then crossed the Delaware, um, and attacked Trenton, and then in, you know, on Christmas night, 1776 and um, defeated a Hessian force at Trenton. Then was at the Battle of Princeton uh, a month, uh, less than a month later, just really two weeks later. And um, this guy served, this is 1775, he goes in, this is 1776. He served throughout that war, went to, even, even went north, uh, fought at the Battle of Saratoga, um, where by the way, his cousins were British officers. Wow. Because <laughs> New York was just, it was the Civil War. Mm -hmm. And then winds up at Yorktown. And um, he finds, that's Yorktown, 1781, uh, October, when, the, when Cornwallis surrenders. And he goes home. And he had given all, the, all, the, all his windows to the cause because they were lead. And they used them for bullets. Yeah. And... In 1786, he gets home in 1782. In 1786, he is accidentally killed by a kick by a horse and killed. And you go, uh, <laughs> how can this be? Yeah, all that. <laughs> all that. But, but I, I, I mentioned all that, all the travails of him, because he's, he's not unlike all the rest of them, not unlike the ancestors of John here, uh, they all suffered in that in ways we can't even imagine. And I think it's high time we as Kentuckians and people everywhere in this country who are listening to this, and we people listen to this all over the country, um, and frankly, all over the world, because you can access us on YouTube. You can access us on our own website. But for all of you... Um, and those of you who've been reading the newsletter, um, we are in the midst of producing a film called The Shot Heard Round the World, The Coming of the American Revolution. And it covers the years from colonial America until the Battle of Lexington and Battles of Lexington and Concord um, in April 1775. And it gives you an understanding of the causes of the revolution and why the frontiersmen at Fort Gower and in Fincastle would say the things they did. And um, I think you all will be amazed at it. Um, we're hoping to have that film finished as long as we've got to keep raising the capital for it. But, um, and we encourage you to give to the Witnessing History Foundation, Education Foundation, so that we can do things like that. 
But assuming we raise all the capital we need in that, it should be uh, finished in the fall, late fall of this year. So anyway, John, listen, it's been fun having you here. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> I've enjoyed having you. And um, uh, we want to want you to come back. When we get going with the commission, we'll have to make periodic reports on this, don't you think? We'll, we'll do some semi-quincentennial moments. <laughs> Semi-quincentennial. Uh, so for those of you who want to know what the 250th anniversary actually sounds like in, in, in the language, it's semi-quincentennial. Yeah. So uh, anyway, listen, thanks a million for coming here. I really do appreciate it. And it's been a lot of fun. It has. Thank you. I've, I've enjoyed it. You're, you're mighty welcome. Goodbye, folks. Become an American hero who participates in our mission by joining us at witnessinghistory.org. Download our documentaries and free teacher education materials that conform to grade level education standards at pbslearning.org. Follow Witnessing History on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.